0: Hello and Shalom everybody. My name is Julia Jassy, and you are listening to Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. On today's episode, we are talking with Jordan Tilchen, Jewish activist and entertainment editor, although you might know her for her love of the Iron Dome. I am super excited to have Jordan on our show today. Jordan manages to do something that honestly, I really struggle with myself. She manages to find light in our dark moments as a people interjecting humor into Jewish activism in a way that would make all of our most famous comedians proud. And while she grapples with antisemitism in a real and harrowing way, she balances this struggle by showing the genuine joy she has for Judaism. And that I find inspiring. On today's episode, I really want to ask Jordan how she is able to continue forward with such strength and positivity even in some pretty hard times. I am so excited for you guys to meet her. Let's do this thing. Jordan Tilchen is a Jewish activist and Iron Dome stan, taking the Jewish online world by storm. She's also a writer and an entertainment editor with a special interest in breaking celebrity news, internet culture, and pop music. Jordan has worked at MTV News, J14, and Clever where she primarily covered trending news, social media stars, and all areas of entertainment. Jordan, it's so great to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Julia, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. Of course, of course. Let's get right into it. So to start off, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Sure. So I am from
1: a town on Long Island that is predominantly... Jewish, but secular. So there was a lot mm-hmm. of um, students in my in my class, my graduating class, who were who are, were Jewish, but also maybe didn't fully understand their Judaism. Um, yeah, but we all yeah. grew up kind of like together, not understanding it. So, on a Saturday night. like that, the that we to were do. Jewish. Yeah. And the Long Island bat mitzvah culture was like strong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm from a very similar area. It's like, I, I always say this being Jewish on Long Island is like saying you play soccer. It's like the thing that everyone does. And it's, you don't really think twice about it. But then you grow up and you're like, oh, wait, this is a big part of my life. I didn't even notice. Exactly. It was like
1: just part of like where I grew up. There was probably 80% yeah. of my class was probably Jewish.
0: Yeah. And so when you were growing up, did you feel a similar kind of separation from it that you're talking about? Did yeah, you I think have I more connection really, to
1: it? I think I was really um, comfortable being, I don't know if assimilate. well, I guess assimilated is the word. I, I was an assimilated teenager to the culture around me. A lot of my classmates didn't really understand their Judaism and I didn't either. And for me, it, it really didn't come until later on in in my 20s where I started to actually understand it Mm -hmm. more until then. It was all just like fully cultural lox and bagels, bat Mm -hmm. mitzvahs, Mm -hmm. Um, just being surrounded by Jews and knowing you're surrounded by Jews. So feeling like, you know, you're in your community. It's just that it's like a very watered
0: down identity almost. I mean, that's something that I can really relate to. And I'm curious, what was the thing that made that shift happen?
1: um seeing israel for the first time totally Mm -hmm. changed everything like it everything started to make sense like the the traditions and the stories and understanding the diaspora i understood the diaspora experience so much better just by going to israel and realizing that like oh we actually do have you know a home like they're like Mm we're (laughs) we're not really we live in the diaspora but like our homeland is here and and it it fully completed our story for me um Mm -hmm. it it took meeting israelis meeting um meeting other jews from around the united states um because the new york experience is not at all universal (laughs) not quite no (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah that was what it was it was it was seeing israel and sort of
0: it took that to complete the story and so now you do all of this work in this online activist space. Um, you combat anti-Semitism. You shed light on anti-Semitism in the community. You talk about all of this stuff pretty much every day. Was, was going to Israel what made you inspired to do that, or was it something else?
1: Actually, it took uh, a few years after I knew I loved Israel when I went, and I went back mm-hmm. the following year, mm-hmm. and I just knew that I felt like this like unbelievable connection to this place and i it made me want to learn more about my history about about this land, about you know Jewish history as a whole, thousands of years worth um that I never really paid attention to before or thought was important, which is mind boggling to me now because I can't think of anything more important um, <laughs> <laughs> and so it wasn't until probably like two or three years after the first time I went to Israel because What happened was with the pandemic, there was like a rise in, a noticeable rise in Mm anti-Semitism. It lined up really well with all of the other, you know, social
0: justice movements happening. You talk about the rise in anti-Semitism. How did you begin to feel that? What was, what first made it noticeable to you that there was something to kind of sound the alarm? Yeah. Um, for me,
1: it was. Like the summer in the middle of the pandemic, everything mm-hmm. happened for everybody in the middle of the yeah. pandemic. The 100%. every community started to really feel the weight of the pandemic and inequality and, mm-hmm. you know, so many different things in at the height of the pandemic, especially with so much uncertainty with like how do we move forward. So, yeah. you know as tends to happen when other communities are really feeling galvanized to speak up about inequality and about the issues they face and about racism and all of, you know, these societal issues. Typically, when there are issues in society, the blame ends up falling back on the Jew. And so it's not really a coincidence that that we started to feel this at the same time. You know what I mean? Uh, We started to feel a lot of pressure on us and a lot of blame on us. And so it just made sense to me. I was like, of course this is this is all happening now, like this is where everybody's being like really, really honest about everything that their community is facing, and and we have to too and I had gotten laid off from my last job, and I had all this time to really like dive into research and learn more and like understand like as much as I could and I think the first social media accounts I followed were eve Eve Barlow and Ben Freeman mm-hmm. and I was like... First of all, when I when I um saw Eve's account, I was like, "Oh my god, she's a music journalist! Like she's just like me in the same in one of like almost a s- exact circumstance." Because really
0: interesting that you guys are both attracted to the same kind of issues yes, coming from a similar background. Because yeah. I think because even though she's her been a past guest I, on our show as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: wow! Yeah. I think because her and I both worked in these progressive spaces, and we understand yeah. how the media works. Um. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, she didn't know who I was. I was literally, like, sliding into her DMs, and I was like,
0: thank you for talking about this, because, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Eve Barlow was a previous guest on our show, and she's a Scottish music journalist who's turned into a huge activist in the Jewish space. Similarly with Ben Freeman, he is her childhood best friend. They both have become super strong and powerful Jewish advocates Ben is actually in Hong Kong, a Holocaust educator professionally. So he does that really online and offline. They're both a really powerful duo who have known each other since childhood. So it's a really cool thing to see them, you know, interacting and doing these things sort of publicly. And they also are people who I think inspired a lot of the the advocates in this space.
1: Oh, my gosh. I think like almost everybody, honestly, started (laughs) with even Ben. Well, it was amazing, too, to me because, I mean, Ben's in Hong Kong eve Mm -hmm. is you know i mean in the states now but but Mm -hmm. like both from from scotland and it's Mm -hmm. like it really makes you also just being able to connect with them and to feel those same similar issues Mm -hmm. is like oh this is like this is the diaspora not that the diaspora is one universal experience but like it's so interesting to hear you know coming together to hear it all coming together to hear what happened in the uk and to feel it start to happen here
0: it was so interesting to me I'm really interested in, in asking. So you talk about feeling this sense of being seen by people who you probably never met before. I mean, you and I just met recently, which was great, but like yeah. we never met before and we chatted for for months. Um, In response to activism, obviously there's good and there's bad. Starting with the good, how has that community response been? Have you heard from people that your work has been empowering? How has that affected you? What's been that experience for you? It's been really interesting it's been amazing because
1: it it means a lot to know that like my background is a writer so Mm -hmm. i'm used to writing about i was used to writing about celebrities but the fact that Mm -hmm. i can like still use words and put them together in like a really meaningful way that like Mm -hmm. challenges maybe what people knew about israel or what people knew about jewish people or what people couldn't mostly what jewish people can't a lot of them who don't have maybe have a writing background, but they couldn't put Mm -hmm. into words. And that's a lot of the messages that I get or like you, Mm -hmm. you put into words what I was feeling. You put into words, um, my fears, my anxieties. Um, Mm -hmm. you, you were just able to articulate so well, like what I'm going through. And Mm -hmm. that's really a really like special thing. I think, because Mm -hmm. I don't know what, I would do if I couldn't put it into words and needed to look elsewhere and those words weren't there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I found it, like I said, like through other activist accounts that, that were writers or educators. So that helped me. And so for me to be able to do that for other people is amazing. And I get like the other day I got like such a sweet message from a girl named Roni from Israel. And she was just Mm -hmm. like, I think actually in May uh, when the violence between Israel and Hamas really, you know, reached a a fever pitch. Mm -hmm. A lot of Israelis, at least from what they've told me in my DMS are that they felt so alone Mm -hmm. and they felt alone because they didn't think that Jews in America cared Mm -hmm. And it was so amazing to get mess. It's so amazing to get messages from Israelis that are like, oh my God, like you showed me that like, we're not alone. Like we are not alone. We have people fighting for us in the diaspora. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I will never stop fighting for you in the diaspora. Like this is why I'm doing what part of why I'm doing what I'm doing. The other part is, I mean, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully just to bring more awareness and educate people about the issues and to make Jews, you know, here and there feel more comfortable and, galvanized to speak out and Mm -hmm. defend themselves in the face of so much like unabashed bigotry.
0: Yeah. So you, you mentioned May, which I think is a topic that comes up on this podcast a lot since May, because it's hard to, to have existed online and not have felt a tremendous amount of dread as a Jewish person. Um, What was that experience like for you? How, I mean, I, I, I feel it's a fair a fair assessment to say that you probably have faced quite a bit of anti-Semitism in response to your work. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> did that change around times when there is escalated violence? Um, um, how, how has that kind of been for you navigating For it? the most part, during, during, that, during that violence in May,
1: for the most part, I wasn't really focused on the hate that I was getting because mm-hmm. I actually, like, I try to be really, really honest about how I'm feeling. on my page and i think like i got on my instagram story and i started to cry because i was so worried i was so worried for the people that i knew in israel the people that i knew who were spending like days in bomb shelters and so it didn't really matter what was coming through my dms to be honest yeah it was just like overwhelming emotion i remember i took off like three days of work just so Mm -hmm. i can follow exactly what was happening in real time on like clubhouse somebody was running uh uh somebody was running a room with like constant live updates um also, I just wouldn't have been able to focus at work. But generally, before then, yes, there's a lot of anti-Semitic vitriol that makes its way into, you know, my DMs. It comes, mm-hmm. unfortunately, with the territory of speaking out. It's really, mm-hmm. uh, it's standard anti-Semitic tropes. It's nothing like I haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, or we haven't heard before as a community. That makes it a little bit easier to know, like, oh, they're not just saying like my nose is big because I have a huge nose. It's like,
0: <laughs> it's like th- I mean, you have to laugh at that. Like, yeah. come on.
1: it's like standard, you know, yeah. bigoted anti-Jewish tropes. So, a hundred percent. It, I'm like, I, I can't take it seriously. I'll just mm-hmm. block and delete. But you know, all sorts yeah. of all sorts of things like that come through. Mm-hmm. In May, it just wasn't particularly yeah. a concern.
0: I think that's something I very much relate to. I have a lot of family in Israel and I really didn't care what was happening. All I cared about was like knowing yeah. that they were safe. They were in Tel Aviv, so it was just a little bit a little bit yeah, scary. And that was really my scary. that was my only focus. Um, one thing that kind of going back to this topic of of anti-Semitic betrayal, mm-hmm. um, one thing that you talk about a lot in your platform is kind of having a good sense of humor in spite of it. I know Fridays for you are the days where you post jokes and you're only really focused on the anti-Semitism. How, how do you keep that balance? How do you make sure to have that kind of positive, humorous outlook and also combat some really scary things at the same time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it became really, really clear uh, after the first probably six or eight months or whatever Mm -hmm. it was, it wasn't even a year, that I couldn't possibly keep talking about this, talking about all the bad news, turning my personal instagram account which used to be full of concerts and friends hey. and vacations <laughs> yeah i couldn't turn that over to so much negativity without balancing it out with parts of things that still felt like me you know what mm-hmm. i mean like i had to find a way to a make it easier like it was hard to keep reading all of that crap like Mm -hmm. over and over and over again and not have anything to balance it out like i would just i think there was a time when like i felt like if i breathed in my back would like break like it was so Mm -hmm. there was so much pressure yeah um just so much bad news and i was like this isn't me i can't live like this like i need to balance it out but there's a way to do it you know that still feels Mm -hmm. very me and very Jewish. And also you can combat <laughs> hatred through humor. Like we- 100%. We have been training thousands of years for this. <laughs> this is our moment, Let's This go. is our moment. Like, <laughs> like, this is where we thrive. And so, you know, there are very funny people on Twitter. I happen to hate the platform because it's just like full yeah. of just, I mean, Instagram it's- is nothing compared to what I see on Twitter
0: because it's there's built for a reaction. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Twitter is is all it is is how do you get a reaction? And- 100%. And there's there's
1: trolls, but then there's also people with like really weird just regular people with really weird perspectives and like people <laughs> who don't even realize that they're anti-Jewish but they are. You know, like so yeah. um you know People were playing, started, like, playing around with tweets and everything. And uh, then I was like, I, I have to keep this going. Like, we have to take these tweets that people are writing with... It do- it's not even worth it because they're so stupid, these tweets. Like, it's not even worth it to try to, like, counter it with facts. Instead, I'm just going to broadcast this tweet of this person claiming that Israelis are murdering children or whatever... Crazy libel is coming out next and I'm going to flip it and make it sound like, you know, something silly because it's it's not worth it to counter all the lies with facts when the lies are so blatantly a lot a lot like not true. Instead, it just felt like it always it started to feel like it just made more sense to just be like, listen, like I'm going to Put this dumb tweet on my page because if I just put it out there, then people know like, well, she wouldn't put it out there if if it's true. You know what I mean? Like the tweet is so ridiculous. Like, why would she broadcast that to the to why would she broadcast a tweet that says that Israeli children that Israelis murder children if it was true like I wouldn't do that (laughs) you know what I mean like it would be something that technically no I wouldn't want anybody to know because whatever but it obviously isn't true so instead I would just take the tweet and flip it upside down and and turn it inside out and and make find tweets that work that make things feel like a joke like a lot of them are pretty vague but I'm like you know my grandma passed over dinner or whatever (laughs) you know what I
0: mean yeah, I'm looking right now for an example of one of them to yeah. read so people understand. So you really take an anti-Semitic trope and you turn it into a joke almost. Yeah. So um trying to find just I should have mm-hmm. gotten this before we started <laughs> recording. Um there are so many really, really funny ones. Um so someone someone tweeted and goes, the Zionist, they'll push any agenda that is beneficial for them. Yeah. That obviously plays into tropes, replace the word Zionist with the word Jew. Jewish control of the world, obviously like a classic anti-Semitic trope. And someone could post that and say, oh, here's a classic anti-Semitic trope. But instead your response is me when my parents say they're going away with just the two of them. And I suggest you make it into a family trip. So kind (laughs) of just like turning it into a joke for the sake of, of not taking it seriously and pointing out the kind of ridiculousness of what they're saying. Absolutely. Which I think is, is, yeah. there, is a funny way of handling it. Like we can spend a lot of time getting really down and sad about what's happening or we can say this is ridiculous. Yeah,
1: I mean, um, I could I could dive into why tropes about Jewish control are, you know, for X, Y, and Z reasons, the history of it and all of that. But that person that tweeted that doesn't even care to know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that person who tweeted it is somebody who obviously pushes anti-Semitic tropes all the time on Twitter. That's their prerogative. Mm. Some yeah. people can't really be educated because they're not willing to. Twitter's also like a horrible platform for that because there are character limitations. Very little characters, but, yeah. Right. But so the only way to counter it is to blast it and and flip it upside down. And I think that that's really helped people laugh at so much hatred, which is Amazing to me. I'm so glad that I get to do that.
0: 100. Um, percent One thing I'm really curious about, and one thing we talk about a lot, I think, as as women in this space, is the disproportionate amount of abuse and hatred that women, Jewish women, um, really anyone who isn't like a cis man in this space, is is, is facing in in the face of an already increasing rise in anti semitism. Um, to start off, is that something that you've noticed in your own work?
1: Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about this point for for a while. Mm-hmm. I think that when we talk about anti semitism, it is you know a pillar of white supremacy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little bit off, and then I'll hopefully get back on track mm-hmm. with my thought. But um, when we think about how anti semitism is a pillar of white supremacy, and we think about standard, you know, like the 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 image of a, what a white supremacist is in our head. We think about like a right wing, like neo-Nazi, you know what I mean? Jews will not replace us marching through uh marching through Charlottesville. But the more I've been in this space and the more I see the anti-Semitism existing from the right to the left, there are a lot of of people who think that they're doing the right thing social justice warriors, you know, towards the far left who think that they're standing up um, for Palestinian rights. But meanwhile, there's a lot I've noticed of men who think that they're doing that, but will tell me, a Jewish woman, you know what I mean? Like, online that I'm wrong about my history or gaslight me about you know what I mean, like what it actually means to be a Jew or what is Jewish and what isn't Jewish and it's like they're not Jewish. And it's so interesting to me to hear that intersect because when I actually think about white supremacy, I also think that misogyny ties in so absolutely. So, you know, seamlessly into that. and it's interesting to see it exist on the left even though that's exactly what they claim to stand against. They naturally seem to do it anyway. And it's a lot of, like, there's a million different, like, facets to it. But there's a lot of, like, there's the pushing off the white guilt onto Jewish people. That's one. (laughs) And then there's the misogyny, um that naturally follows by just telling a Jewish woman that, well, first of all, I need to free Palestine and uh, from the river to the sea and your history is
0: bullshit and you don't belong. Not to mention that you're a Jew from Long Island who definitely, definitely can do that. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I definitely can free, free Palestine from the river to the sea. And
0: (laughs) uh, exactly, exactly. You talk about this kind of intersection of, of white supremacy and of misogyny, which mm-hmm. yeah, an intersection that exists. That's, that's just kind of undeniable at this point. Um, all women who are vocal, regardless of their background, kind of face this similar rejection of that, where it is almost threatening to someone who thinks that a woman shouldn't be vocal, that a woman continues to be vocal. And you continue to do it, and you're funny about it. You continue to do it, and you're strong about it. Um Has that been an empowering experience for you? Has it been something you've struggled with? How have you kind of remained strong even when you're constantly facing this sort of gaslighting and abuse um, online and offline?
1: Yeah. I don't think it's a straight line, honestly. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel really gaslit and I feel like sometimes I'll, I'll tweet something and I'll be like, I'll think like. I'm glad I tweeted that and then 2 seconds later I'll get like one tweet from like some non-Jewish man mm-hmm. telling me XYZ and I'll feel so gaslit but then 100% you, you yeah, know what I mean hard and not it's to. like yeah it's it's so hard not to and then mm-hmm. you know if something goes viral or gets in the wrong hands or spirals out of control which so yeah. often happens on my on my Twitter yeah. um it's like then you go back and you think like, could I have articulated myself better with the character limit given? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because now what's happening is it's it's being retweeted and being misinterpreted and being changed. Like my words are being flipped upside down to mean something they didn't mean or mm-hmm. 70 people are asking for clarification on something and it's like, I can't possibly. Yeah. Um, so sometimes like if it gets like, I have to stay on top of my Twitter because it it can go out of control so quickly. And then mm-hmm. if it does, I usually just go on private just because it's like, actually, what's the point? What's the point? It's really yeah. hard. I want to try to diminish the amount that that tweet continues to get into the wrong hands and is misinterpreted. So, mm-hmm. and Twitter has horrible, horrible, like... Um, they don't have the right – they don't have good tools for for that kind of security. You know what I yeah. mean? Like Instagram has – you know, no social media is clearly perfect, but Instagram does have a lot more security features that I can mm-hmm. put to use. Twitter is like, you know, no. you're throwing yourself to the wolves here. It's horrible.
0: Yeah. It can be scary sometimes. I mean, the amount of threats that we receive in general is as, – as, I think I'm sure I, – I mean, I don't want to speak for any other experiences. I know as a Jewish person we see these threats all the time, I'm sure – any group that's vocal about their own struggles as a minority is facing similar things. I think, especially as women. I mean, some of the threats that I've gotten have been particularly pointed about um, assault or different things mm-hmm. like that that men don't tend to see as often. Not because it doesn't happen, but just because the nature of misogyny tends to to point toward that when women are vocal online mm-hmm. um, or in any space, really. Um, Unsolicited comments about appearance on a post about fact, just this kind of need to prove that you are more than just your gender, but you are a thinking person that has... Very valid way, ways of existing. Of other, I course, know. yeah. No, you know for what I mean. sure.
1: I've gotten so many uh, tweets in response to my tweet, calling me my tweets calling me stupid. And mm-hmm. it's like I am like a college-educated woman who's very comfortable yeah. in her Jewish identity, who's very comfortable with her with you know the history that I've learned, the thousands mm-hmm. of years. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm very comfortable now talking about it. And it's so weird to me that I have people, you know, calling me stupid about my own identity in my replies. Like, it's very gaslighty. It's very misogynistic. Mm
0: -hmm. It's
1: very, it's an attack on my identity as a woman, but it's also an attack on my identity as a Jew. It's just like everything wrapped into one and it's super Mm -hmm. overwhelming, but the the most recent example I can think of is when me and a bunch of other, like, loud internet Jews, as I like to call them, <laughs> <laughs> um, we met up for brunch. You know what I mean? Like, we weren't expecting anything to come out of that. And Alma Hernandez, the uh, representative from Arizona, she posted the picture also online. Also a former
0: guest on Nice Jewish Girls.
1: <laughs> oh, I love her. She posted the picture of us online, and it was like, I mean, the comments were literally scary. I, like had to Some reach out to people were, were nervous, yeah we're yeah. really crazy like you know like memes about people like calling up hamas to come bomb us at the restaurant oh my goodness. people calling us first of all like specifically the women ugly yeah. i was like oh my god smelly jews i wonder how much they tipped um just like horrifying. Some of it was obviously like trolls and bots, but I mean, Mm -hmm. there were legitimate threats in there that were really, really scary.
0: Absolutely. Um, And I think that's something that really, well, first of all, I'm very sorry that you experienced that. I saw that online and it was terrifying to see. Yeah, it Um, was really scary. And it brings us to the last question, which is really the point of us doing this podcast, why we started this podcast in the first place, which. There are so many young people, particularly for the sake of this podcast, young Jewish women who are entering into this space, this world, different careers, different paths. um, And it can feel really isolating sometimes. So, we want this podcast to be almost like an archive of mentorship where no matter what kind of field they're interested in pursuing, there's someone that they can listen to and hear their story and feel like they have advice and empowerment from it. Um, With that in mind, What's one piece of advice that you want to give to a young person listening to this um, about navigating the world as a Jewish woman and doing it with that strength in spite of anything that might come your way?
1: Oh, I have to think.
0: I <laughs> know <laughs> it's a loaded question. Now I have to think.
1: <laughs> it is a loaded question because it's such a hard space to navigate. Yeah. Um, I think the advice that I would give is that if you are not fully comfortable in your Jewish identity because you don't know the details, the finer details of your history. I would tell them not to let people outside of the community redefine what being Jewish and what being a Jewish woman means to them. Because I think like from my experience, it's so easy to be gaslit Just from a simple tweet that's like 50 characters long, or just from a simple DM that's like, hey, you're off base about this, you're wrong about this. And it's like, well, a lot of the times, like when I tell people, you know, it's okay to talk about anti Semitism and to not necessarily know the ins and outs. You can just talk about it from the lens of this is what I experience myself, this is what I, this makes me feel like, this is what I'm. experiencing and going through and i don't think that i'm alone and i want you to know how much this hurts me and Mm -hmm. my concerns you can do that all without necessarily knowing all the ins and outs of how anti-semitism functions and everything like that but when you do that don't let people gaslight you into thinking that your experience isn't real because it is so easy to fall into that trap and if we start letting the non-Jewish world redefine what Jewishness is, we we lose ourselves. Like, we mm-hmm. literally lose who we are. Uh, if it happens to me, I'm losing, I'm becoming a less confident woman, which is something I, that's like a nightmare to me because, <laughs> because... I I really love being a strong woman. I love having these convictions and opinions and I love being part of the conversation. I love having a seat at the table and we mm-hmm. deserve a seat at the table. We're intelligent. Mm-hmm. We are educated. We mm-hmm. we know who we are. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can keep learning of course about your Jewish identity and you can learn more and more. I'm still learning, but like I know enough to have a seat at the table and I don't need somebody across from me from A man from outside of the community telling me, you know, my Mm -hmm. what my experience is, what my history is, where I come from, what what misogyny is and isn't, what the appropriate thing way to speak to me is. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. I will tell you that. (laughs)
0: Uh huh. (laughs) No, the one thing you will always be an expert in is your own experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that there is. There are so many different ways to be a proud Jewish person. For some people, that means posting online and educating, or some people, that means working for a Jewish nonprofit. Some people, that means starting a new program, like starting a new nonprofit, no matter what it is. So for some people, that just means going to a Shabbat dinner and wearing a Megan David on campus and, like, Mm -hmm. being your own person. And that also— is just as strong a display, just as strong of a display of Judaism as anything else. One hundred. You don't need to be an uh, an educator or. A Jewish studies major, or anything to talk about your own experiences because you lived those. Yeah, and you're the expert in those. I mean,
1: look, the content I post online. There are nights when I'm just like, Am I doing enough? Am I posting a post with enough slides that are intricate enough to fully educate people on, you know, what BDS is, what areas A, B, and C of the of the West Bank are, you know, like who are Fatah and Hamas? Am I doing enough to to Am I making enough infographics with enough sentences with enough educational mm-hmm. material and then I realized that like that's not my that's not my space on the app. There are a yeah. lot of people on Instagram doing that and they do it like chef's kiss unbelievably well. well my yeah. <laughs> position on social media I have come to learn is to put words in maybe one brief sentence that are shareable that make people want to share it too because they can't put it into words Mm -hmm. themselves. Like, if I can do that, if I can get people, even if they can't come up with it on their own, to feel confident enough to repost it, something that says like, I will, you know, something that's like so strong that like, this Mm -hmm. is what Zionism is. And listen, it's so great that they can post it because just the fact that it didn't even come from their account, that it came from somebody else, proves that they're not alone. That like, oh, the person mm-hmm. who created this content feels the same way I do about my Jewish identity. And this is what my non-Jewish friends need to know about what mm-hmm. Zionism is and about how dangerous BDS is and about what Israel means to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I had to really come to terms with like, am I doing enough? Um, mm-hmm. What is my place on social media? And it's really trying to galvanize people to just share a post that resonates with them to people who just are don't understand or are ignorant or Mm -hmm. you know who maybe like maybe it will inspire them to to dm that person and be like listen i had no idea that this is like what zionism is or can i talk to you about zionism or can Mm -hmm. i talk to you about like like what jewish practices you you participate in and what they mean to you and like just even if it's one sentence to be able to open up that conversation, that's, like, the best decision I made was to start doing that.
0: hundred percent. And I think that you touched upon a really good point there. Like, we all have our experiences and our expertise. If you want um, content educating on Israeli history, I mean, shameless plug, Unpacked has an entire series uh-huh. about it made by educators. But that work should be done by educators because they're the ones who have – degrees in it and they can share that history. But some people need that other piece too that really emotionally powerful piece. And that's where you don't necessarily need to have a degree to feel, you know what I mean? You can, you experience it yourself. So I, I 100% agree with that advice. You know, your story more than anyone else. It's yours to share. Absolutely. 100%. Jordan, thank you so much. It's been so great to chat with you. I feel like thank I'm chatting with, like, so <laughs> one of my close friends. I feel like I like it comes really from a very similar background. close friends. I know. I know, right? <laughs> so thank you all for chatting with us today. Thank you. Just two Long Island girls. <laughs> two Long Island girls look at bagels <laughs> after this. Um, <laughs> Jordan, thank you so much for being here, as always. And thank you for coming on Ice Jewish girls. Thank you so much, Julia. Of course. Now, I always love having another Long Island girl on the show, and Jordan is definitely no exception. And one thing we've spoken about a lot on this pod has been the power of stories. As a people who have spent millennia in diaspora, stories have always been our fuel. Stories allow us to feel the plights of our ancestors, to experience the lives of our foremothers and forefathers. Stories allow us to articulate the reality happening before us. Jordan is documenting so many of these stories in real time, in a new way, with just a few clicks. Now, it's no small feat to be able to record our history as it's happening, to process and share these stories with the community, even while we are all still reeling. But she does it, and she does it beautifully. And that gives me hope. And this, my friends, is where we'll leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls, hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. Your feedback is crucial to making this show the best it can be. So contact us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. And don't forget to join us next week when we'll be speaking with the Emmy-nominated and board-certified plastic surgeon behind the hit Netflix show Skin Decision, Dr. Sheila Nazarian. Nice Jewish Girls, a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rivky Stern is our producer, and I am your host, Julia Jassy. Check out Jewish Unpacked for everything Unpacked related and subscribe to our other podcasts and follow Unpacked at all of the social media places. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. Talk to you later, ladies.